invite you to turn with me in your scripture to the last book of the Bible. We're going to be reading from the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 1. Uh, we'll read that whole chapter uh, together as our scripture reading that we want to focus on this morning. Revelation chapter 1. Hear now the eternal word of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death. And Hades, write therefore the things that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, seven stars are the angels of seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your A word is infallible and inerrant, that it does not err, it cannot err, because it is the very uh, breathed out word of you, our God. And we thank you also that it cannot fail, 
uh, in accomplishing the purpose you have for it. You have told us that uh, when your word is sent forth, it accomplishes all that you purpose. And so whoever we are this morning, we know, Lord, you have a purpose for us to be here, a purpose for us to hear this passage of Scripture, a purpose that you are working in us even now. And so we pray, dear God, that you would fulfill your purpose in us for your glory and for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Headline, BBC News, April 2017. Resurrection did not happen. Say, quarter of Christians. A quarter of people who describe themselves as Christians in Great Britain do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, a survey commissioned by the BBC suggests. Dr. Lorraine Cavanaugh, General Secretary for Modern Church, which promotes liberal Christian theology, said, I think people answering the survey are being asked to believe in the way they might have been asked to believe when they were at Sunday school. So to ask an adult to believe in the resurrection the way they did when they were at Sunday school simply won't do. And that's true of much of the key elements of the Christian faith. Headline CNN, uh, April 2014. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? It is, in fact, the essential Christian celebration, says CNN, as the Gospels focus hugely on this part of the Jesus story. Questions arise, of course, did Jesus really rise from the dead? What would that look like? Many Christians imagine some literal awakening from the dead and refuse to accept the slightest hint that the resurrection might be regarded as symbolic without denigrating it. The four Gospel accounts of what happened after Easter, says CNN, suggest that a lot of different rumors circulated about the resurrection. But Christian thinking is resurrection thinking. It's about rebirth or reawakening in many forms, about spiritual and moral transformation. And this is the really good news of Easter, not a physical resurrection of the body of Jesus. To all of which the Bible will simply say again and again, uh, year after year, uh, the word of truth, eternal in the heavens, not shifting or accommodating itself to the cultures and movements of men which come and go through the centuries, the Bible will simply continue to proclaim through the four gospel histories, he is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay, empty tomb, no body. And through the writing of the Apostle Paul, if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The question for you and I and all mankind will always be, are we still in Adam headed for death? Or are we in Christ by faith in him and made alive? There's a reason that Christians worship on this first day of the week. It is the day of resurrection. And for the Apostle Paul, or for the Apostle John here in Revelation, banished, we find out, to the island of Patmos because of his faith in Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus uh, from the dead meant everything to him. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus means that there is confidence uh, for troubled believers. This is how this book begins, the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So this book, we find out, is all about the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation is the Greek word apocalyptus, which means unveiling or disclosing. There's nothing in the book of Revelation that is supposed to be uh, received as uh, something hidden. The book of Revelation is actually the disclosing, the unveiling, and as we find out as you read through the book, it's the unveiling and disclosing of Jesus and his kingship and his glory uh, and his power. And so as this book begins, we know we're going to hear a lot about Jesus, but this revelation itself comes through Jesus because later on in verse uh, 10, we find out that John hears a loud voice, and that voice itself is the voice of Jesus speaking to John. But notice there's a promise of blessing right at the beginning of this, uh, this chapter that we read together in verse 3. The one who reads it, now that would be someone, of course, who first receives this letter. Remember the book of Revelation is, is a letter, uh, like many of the New Testament books we have. They're letters written from uh, an apostle to the church. And so this is a letter. And so blessed, the Bible says, is the one who reads. So someone would get up and take this letter and read it out loud to the church. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So there is a blessing promised right at the beginning of this book for anybody who, who, who reads it, who hears it, and who keeps it. Or in your translation, you might have uh, who heeds it. It's surely the word that means to take to heart. So here right at the beginning of this chapter uh, here's a blessing for those who hear this message, uh, hear this chapter, and who take it to heart. That is, it is meant not to tickle our fancy, but to uh, be taken to heart, uh, to have it sink into our bones. And the sad thing, of course, about the book of Revelation itself, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it says, holds great blessing here. And it's one of the sad ironies of history, of course, that the one book of the Bible, think about this, the one book of the Bible which begins with an explicit pronouncement and promise of great blessing for reading it, hearing it, and keeping it, has become the one book of the Bible, it seems, that many see as too difficult or impossible to understand. Or so full of strange and unusual things, it can't possibly be relevant to my life today. And therefore, I don't even bother to read it and take it to heart. Isn't that sad? It's the only book of the Bible that starts by saying, you read this, take it to heart. Great blessing. And notice who this word is for. It's for the Apostle John and all the servants of the Lord. And look how John describes these servants then in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, that is the suffering, and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. We're all in this together, says John. We're partners in suffering. Uh, the Bible says that's true, that, that Christians, don't, don't be surprised when you suffer for being a Christian. Um, you will suffer as the Lord Jesus suffered. Uh, but we are also partners in the kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ has come. Uh, he has uh, transferred us, the Bible says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. 
And so we are also partners in the kingdom of Christ. We're citizens of the kingdom. So we're sufferers and we're also partners in the kingdom. And we persevere uh, by patient endurance. Now here's the thing, what this passage is all about, what we want to focus on this morning. How can you do that? And where does your confidence lie? John is on the Isle of Patmos, and uh, he's speaking to his uh, partners in suffering and in the kingdom who are patiently enduring in Jesus. And uh, what does God give to John? And what does God give to us so that we might patiently endure both of, both of those who suffer, you suffer, right, in life at times, but also who through faith in Christ are members of his kingdom. Well, John begins the letter by encouraging the churches to take confidence in the resurrected Lord. Notice what he says, verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, ruler of kings on earth. Uh, This is the the Jesus that is going to be presented to us in the book of Revelation and here in this chapter. And so John mentions the Father. He mentions the Holy Spirit, seven spirits, referring to the Holy Spirit. Seven in the book of Revelation is is a number of, of completion and perfection. And he mentions very specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I am, verse 8, the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. But what does John say about Jesus? Well, he's the faithful witness. Uh, Throughout his life, he faithfully witnessed to the Word of God, but he's also called here the firstborn of the dead. That means that his resurrection is the, the foundation and the pattern for the promised resurrection of all believers. He's the firstborn of the dead. But more than that, firstborn, you might know in the Bible, also means uh, the chief, uh, means the the one who has the highest honor. So the nation of Israel, for instance, is called in the Old Testament uh, the firstborn of God. That means that they are the highly favored ones. They are called as as God's particular people. David is called the the firstborn. He will be the highest uh, of the kings uh, appointed by God. God. So firstborn, that is, foundation and pattern for the promised resurrection, but also Jesus is the chief. He is the firstborn from the dead, never to die again, right? There are other people in the Bible who are brought back from the dead, but they will die again. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, never, as we read from Romans, never to die again. But that means there will be more. Jesus is the, is the chief. He's got the highest rank. And so on Good Friday and Easter morning, we celebrate, first of all, John says that he, this Jesus, has freed us from our sins, the punishment and power of sin by his blood, and he's made us a kingdom, he says, priests to his God and Father. In other words, we are servants of God. We are citizens of Christ's kingdom with Jesus as king, master, Lord, chief, firstborn of the dead. And to him, to him, says John, belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Verse 6. So he's talking to people who are sufferers 
John is himself on the island of Patmos, but other believers too. And here's the thing. Um, if you're struggling, suffering, persecuted, fearful, doubtful, or as John, banished, exiled, imprisoned for your faith in Jesus, here's the first thing John wants us to know. Take heart, uh, take confidence in the resurrected and reigning Lord to whom belongs all glory uh, and all dominion. That means all praise and all authority. In other words, you can never praise Jesus too much. You can never uh, worship God too much because to him belongs all glory and all dominion, all praise and all authority. You cannot worship him too much, but you can worship him too little when all glory and praise belongs to the resurrected Lord. So the resurrection means confidence for the troubled believer. The resurrection of Jesus means my time is in his hands. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then we get the list of those seven churches that you find in Revelation 2 and 13. The island of Patmos was about 30 miles southwest of Ephesus. That's, uh, uh, that's uh, western uh, Turkey today. Uh, Asia Minor, as it's called in the Bible. It's an island full of volcanic hills. It's eight miles long, about four miles wide. Uh, John would eventually be released from that island. The Bible says John was in the Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit was uniquely revealing to the Apostle John these revelations to be passed on uh, to the churches. I was in the Spirit, says John, on the Lord's day. The Lord's day. The day of the Lord. That is, the day belonging to the Lord. Now, this is the only reference to the Lord's day in the New Testament. But what it tells us is hugely significant. In the second century, uh, church uh, father, um, Clement of Alexandria, wrote this. A true Christian, according to the commands of the gospel, observes the Lord's day by casting out all bad thoughts and cherishing all goodness, honoring the resurrection of the Lord, which took place on that day. The Lord's Day of Revelation 1 and 10 is a clear indication that before the canon of Scripture closes, that is, before new revelation ceases, there was already a consciousness in the New Testament church that there was a particular day of the week, which like the Old Testament Sabbath, was holy to the Lord. It was the day of the Lord, my holy Day. This day of the week was the day of Christ's resurrection. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John speak together of the resurrection of Jesus toward the dawn of the first day of the week. Very early on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week at early dawn. And now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. This is what the church confesses in our Westminster Confession of Faith. That God's appointed Sabbath, the day of rest, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. 
Now, here it's important to note a few things. The fourth commandment, uh, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, uh, never states anywhere that the Sabbath is to be the seventh day of the week, but simply the seventh day. Similarly, in Numbers 19.12, we have reference to the third day and the seventh day, not of the week, but of a time period of uncleanness. Likewise, you know that Jesus was raised on the third day. But no one believes that this means that Jesus rose on a Tuesday. No. The pattern established in the commandment is six days of work, one day of rest. And so that pattern of one in seven is the biblical principle, which was applied differently in the Old Testament as the seventh day of the week, and in the New Testament as the first day of the week. John 20, 19 speaks of Jesus appearing to his disciples. We read it. On the evening of that day, that first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. In the book of Acts, as the gospel is being proclaimed from city to city, the truth of Jesus' resurrection is turning the world upside down. We read this in Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Aren't you glad you weren't there? No. You wanted to be there. You like a good long sermon. Uh, Paul instructs the church in Corinth, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so that there'll be no collecting when I come. And so the Corinthians were to set aside their special collection for the poor and needy on the first day of the week when they were gathered. In Christ's post-resurrection interaction with Thomas that we read this morning as well, it's clear Jesus himself appeared to the disciples on the first day of the week and then purposely reappeared to the disciples on the following first day of the week, even though he could have appeared to Thomas earlier, therefore highlighting the special significance of the first day. This was the day the disciples gathered to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. And friends, whereas the Old Testament Sabbath was a day to celebrate the rest and redemption which was yet to come in its fullness, and therefore was a rest to which the week of labor looked forward, we work and then we rest. The New Testament Lord's Day is a day to celebrate the rest and redemption which has been accomplished in Christ already, and therefore is a rest from which the week of labor follows. Whereas the seventh day Sabbath came at the end of the week of toil, the first day of the week, friends, the first day of the week, Lord's Day, comes at the beginning of the week as we've been set free from sin, given new life in Christ, find our life in Him, and are sent out to serve and glorify Him in the power of the Spirit in the week to come. The holy day of the Lord that we read about weeks ago in Isaiah 58 has become the Lord's day of revelation. This is the day of rest, the day of worship, the day of resurrection. And here's the thing. God intends for our life and time cycle to be governed forever after by what happened on Easter morning almost 2,000 years ago. You will gather uh, for the, the rest of time as God's people on the first day in celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection and the celebration then of the resurrection on the Lord's day teaches you that all your days are in his hands and you begin the week 
with the Lord. It's not Sunday, S-U-N. It is Sunday, S-O-N. In cultures influenced by the gospel, this is why calendars are printed with Sunday on the far left to start your week and not Monday, which in other cultures they do. Sunday is the first day. It is the day of resurrection. Yes, every Lord's Day is Resurrection Sunday. Every Lord's Day is to be Easter anew. Uh, This Easter Sunday is but one of 52 such celebrations we have in this building every year. Every Lord's Day, you have the joy to begin your week with the privilege of celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death and hell. Every Lord's Day, you have the opportunity again to praise the name of Jesus because He's worthy of all glory. Every Lord's Day, you have the blessing again to rest from the upcoming six days of work, to give yourself to the worship and service of God and the love and service of your neighbor, and to rejoice that He is risen. Because He's risen, you're dead to sin. And you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And because He lives, you too shall live. Because death could not hold Him, death cannot hold you. Because He died and rose again from the dead, you too rise to newness of life with Him, and then you go out into the week and live it. All this is yours by faith in the one who died in the place of sinners and rose again from the dead, that through him you too might have new life. And that's what the Christian Sabbath is all about, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, the day of new life. So resurrection means confidence in confidence for troubled believers. And that's why John starts with that great greeting. Uh, resurrection means my time is in his hands. Forever after, uh, I am going to, uh, to live my life according to, to God's timetable. To start my week praising and giving glory to the resurrected Lord who's given his life for me. And then here in Revelation 1, we're given to understand not only what filled the mind of the Apostle John on the Lord's day, but what is to fill our mind as well. The resurrection means being overwhelmed by the majesty and the beauty of Christ. There's a reason that Protestants do not have a crucifix. Uh, That is a depiction of the cross with a figure of Jesus on it, still suffering. There is a reason We don't have a crucifix. This is why. What John heard was a loud voice, the Bible says, like a trumpet. You ever have a trumpet in your ear? Um, A loud trumpet. Telling him to write and to get this word to the churches. To get it to us. To get it to you. To get it to me. And what John saw was this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. What do you see 
on Easter morning. This is John on the Lord's day. The Lord appears to him, the Lord Jesus. What do you see on an Easter morning? What do you see on the Lord's day? What do you see on the day of resurrection? Do you wake up anticipating the glories and beauty and power of seeing Christ through the word? Or do you wake up anticipating the glories of the the largest chocolate Easter bunny that your friend or mother or father has ever bought in their life? Dark chocolate, of course. Do you anticipate on the Lord's day seeing something of the love and mercy and grace of God to sinners like us in the wonder of the gospel? Or do you awake to business as usual? Maybe an exercise day. Maybe a sports day. Maybe a shopping day. Maybe a day for me on the Lord's day. Hmm. And does it, is, it, is it like a burden? Is it a burden to... To, to come, to, to kind of kind of drag yourself to the place of worship and wish you were somewhere else? What did John see on the Lord's day? Well, he saw a vision of the exalted Christ, the resurrected Christ in all his glory. We find out the lampstands represent the churches. And amidst, the church, amidst these lampstands, like, one like the Son of Man. Spoken of in the book of Daniel like this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, that is, to one like a Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I saw one like a son of man. That's Jesus, you see. Dominion, glory, and a kingdom given to him. He's got white hair, pure and wise, eyes like fire, seeing the secrets of our hearts, burning away sin. He's got feet like bronze, glowing, refined in a furnace. He's prepared for judgment and war. His voice is like, uh, like Niagara Falls. You ever been to Niagara Falls? Made of the mist, underneath the falls. There's like his voice when he speaks. He holds his servants, that is, the stars in his hands. He's in control. His word is powerful to judge. It's like a two-edged sword. That means it penetrates to the heart of men and women. And his face, John says, shining like the sun in full strength. Didn't you ever have your, your parents tell you, kid, don't look at the, don't look at the sun, you're going to go blind. Right? Not even for a little bit. John says, his face was like the sh- sun shining in full strength. The brilliant majesty of Christ's appearance. This is what John sees on the Lord's day. Not Jesus meek and mild. Jesus worthy of all glory, all praise, all authority, all power. And the Bible says, when John sees Jesus, he fell at his feet as though dead. That is, uh, he was so overwhelmed by a sight 
of the glory and the majesty of the risen Christ on the Lord's day, he simply fell at his feet to worship. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his great book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, tries to capture you know, some of the, the majesty of Jesus in his depiction of Aslan. And in this famous passage, uh, we hear him referring to Aslan through the conversation of the talking beavers. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly, certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter, even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point. That's right, son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver, bringing his paw down on the table with a crash that made all the cups and saucers rattle, and so you shall. Word has been sent that you're to meet him tomorrow, if you can, at the stone table. When John meets the risen Christ, he falls down and worships. When Joshua came face to face with the commander of the Lord's army in the Old Testament, he fell on his face and worshiped. When Jesus was born, you remember the wise men of the East came. Jesus is just a baby. The Bible says they fell down and worshiped. Several times in the book of Revelation, the elders of the churches fall down and worship him. Friends, what do you do when confronted with a sight of the resurrected, glorified, majestic Lord. Although the Bible says there's only one proper response to one who has all glory, all dominion, all power, all authority, who has died in our place on the cross and who, because he was the Son of God, death could not hold him, who has risen again on the third day and now reigns in glory. There's only one proper response to fall at his feet, you see, and to to worship him. He holds, he says to John, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Isn't this beautiful? So, so you know, John's, oh, he's he's obliterated, overwhelmed. And, uh, but, 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 says John, he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and hates. Fear not, John. There is life, John, in other words, in me. I have not come to destroy you, You see, I have appeared to you so that you might see me in my glory, that you might worship me as the crucified, the risen, the glorified Lord. 
Friends, the resurrection means confidence for the troubled believer. It means my times are in his hand. He wants me to schedule my whole life according to the first day of the week, the resurrection day, and then go forth to live for him. And I'm overwhelmed by the majesty and beauty of Christ on this the day of resurrection. For, says Paul, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe. Do you? We believe that we will also live with him now and forever. Maybe so, that we would see something of what John saw as we hear, as we take to heart Jesus as he's revealed to us right here in his word. Let's pray uh, together, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you that on this resurrection day, Lord, we can again, Lord, be, uh, be brought face to face with the glory and the majesty of the crucified and the risen Lord, that he died, but he is alive forevermore. And when we put our faith and our trust and our hope in him, not only are we crucified with him, that our sin and the guilt and the shame and the punishment and the power of sin, not only is all that put to death, but that just as we've been united with him in his death, we know that we're united with him in his life and that we are raised to newness of life, to live for him as we bow down before him, adoring the one who is worthy of all our worship. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.